You're listening to episode 55 with Becky Johnson, professor of professional practice at Texas Christian University. This episode is brought to you by 120 Water Audit. Hi, this is Chris Long, professor of philosophy and dean of the College of Arts and Letters at Michigan State University. This is the podcast that is demonstrating the transformative power of education. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. Each year, thousands of hours are spent pulling together the right data to execute drinking water programs. 120 Water Audit software and testing kits are transforming how government agencies and municipalities manage these drinking water programs. Cities like Pittsburgh, Loveland, Colorado, Kenosha, Wisconsin, and Fort Wayne, Indiana use 120 Water Audit's platform to execute their lead service line replacement, lead and copper compliance, customer request, and other drinking water programs. Our software and kits streamline your water quality testing programs, centralizing your data so that it's easier for you to meet regulatory reporting requirements and communicate with your customers. Learn more or schedule a free demo at 120wateraudit.com. In today's episode, we chat with a woman responsible for getting me, Stephanie, into the water industry. And a huge part of that was because the way she told water's story. She broke down complex issues related to the science and the regulations and technology and made it relevant to me in my life. You know, me and Ariane talk a lot about communicating water through the lens of your audience and the way Becky teaches really follows that. And so we wanted you to hear it from, you know, someone else other than us because you're probably tired of hearing it from us at this point. 55 episodes in, y'all. So workforce is also a huge topic happening in the industry right now. And Becky also drives home how absolutely important it is for water utilities to have relationships with the local universities and colleges in order to give students hands-on hands-on experiences because like that's that's what brings people in. So we go a little rogue in this episode. We're a little all over the place. We talk about when Aaron Brockovich came to town. We talk about emerging contaminants centralized versus decentralized infrastructure all fun but the biggest takeaway for us is to make sure that any water utilities listening are finding the becky johnsons and their community and partnering because people getting bringing students into the treatment plants doing special collaborative projects taking them behind the scenes that's where the aha moments live for the next generation of water nerds so without further ado let's get to the show Becky Johnson has over 27 years experience in domestic and international environmental management and is an experienced consultant, auditor, and international speaker. She is formally trained as a geologist and brings a fresh, common-sense approach to her projects, as well as in-depth understanding of regulatory programs. She has provided consulting and training to the water and wastewater treatment industry for over 20 years and brings that experience to the classroom at my alma mater, Texas Christian University, providing students with a real-world view of the field and practical hands-on experience vital in today's job market. She has served as a member of the Texas Board of Professional Geoscientists since 2011. Okay, so I had to make a big deal about the my alma mater because working in the water industry in Texas, everywhere we go with this one, is is nothing but whoops, and I, like, never get to... Yeah, so... (laughs) So we have so, to do a little go frogs here, yeah, right? Yeah, we got to do frogs. a little, get some go frog love in the house. So super excited for you to be here. This is, um, 
this is a little surreal moment for me because I've already tweeted this out several times, but today we are interviewing the person responsible for why I'm in the water industry. So this is like a full circle moment for me. Super Aww, excited. You're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> um, so the first question that we ask everyone who comes uh, and chats with us on Water in Real Life is, well, and who's a water nerd, is... Um, you know, you're the reason that I just said, you're the reason that I got into water. So you have to tell us how you got into the water sector. So did you choose water or did water choose you? So that's a really interesting question. Um, I'm going to start out by saying geology chose me, Ah. right? Because when I was little, you know, other kids were picking up bugs and putting them in their pockets. I was picking up rocks and putting them in my pockets. And so, you know, more than once I got the washing machine stuck. (laughs) Dad had to take it apart to (laughs) dig the rocks out. Right. And so um, I got into geology and I found that I really loved volcanology. That's I wanted to go play on volcanoes. And. I was like, you got to clear that up for some people. (laughs) She's not a Vulcan. She just (laughs) enjoys volcanoes. (laughs) So, um, but times were different and women weren't really widely accepted in that field at that time. So that meant I had to find something else. And um, I started looking around and I found the environmental realm and water sort of reached out and grabbed me the same way rocks did when I was little. Mm. And I've been, you know, focused on water, groundwater, uh, groundwater contamination, um, water and wastewater treatment ever since. So. Love it. Yeah, it it definitely, uh, it definitely reaches out and grabs you, especially when you have a professor who is so passionate about it like you were. And I just, yeah, I always say that I, I fell in love. I'd never heard water story that way. And I've been hooked ever since. So. Well, thank you. <laughs> um, but water is such a complex industry theory. You know, book knowledge is great, but you really need hands-on experience to understand that complexity more, in my opinion, especially when it comes to the challenges that water utilities face. Um, why do you think that it's so important and something you work hard to create for your students to get that hands-on experience? Well, hands-on makes it real. If you, like you said, if you just have the book knowledge, you can be really smart about it, but then take that person to a water utility, take them to a water treatment plant, and they have no idea what they're looking at. Mm -hmm. They don't understand how the book knowledge translates to that design of that plant, the treatment processes that they're using, and why the, the condition of the raw water matters in how that plant's designed until they go there and they see it for themselves. One of the best things is the backwashing of the filters. Mm, yeah. It it really grabs people's attention. Yeah. It's, it's fun to watch that. We got to see that at the last treatment plant we, tour in Fort Worth we went to, right? When they backwashed. Oh. I had never seen that before. Yeah. So that was pretty awesome. And um, oh, there was something else that I was going to say to your point on that. Oh. You've never, you never really understand how a utility operates until you get to sit through some of those weekly staff meetings, too. There is a lot to be said about being in the room and, and being a fly on the wall for the, the conversations and just kind of the weird issues and challenges that they face sometimes. Right. <laughs> well, I just feel like I should probably say hi, Becky. Now I didn't get a chance <laughs> to even say hi, Becky. Hello, Ariane. How are you? I feel like Greg's like, where's Ariane's voice? <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. 
Um, so a significant portion of our industry is nearing or at that age of retirement um, in workforce development and succession planning are hot topics right now. You're on the front lines of when these students are making these decisions about where they end up after graduation. Ding, 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 this one right here. What are some things that utilities can be doing to market themselves better to that next gen of water professionals? Well, I think I've worked hard to create a good relationship with the city of Fort Worth and the water professionals that are at the city, and that's been really great. But as you said, many of my colleagues are retiring or about to retire. I'm not far behind them, mm -hmm. right? And so I think that next generation that's already gotten the job at the water utility, I've got to do a better job of reaching out to them. And I think, in all fairness, most water utilities need to form those relationships with their nearby colleges and universities, and even some of the community colleges that have um, specialty programs, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think if you are reaching out to the educational institutions and forming those partnerships where we we are able to take our students into a water treatment plant and they'll backwash the filter so that the students get to see that. Or you get to go into a portion of the plant that maybe they wouldn't take most normal visitors, but they'll take those college students. That's what really sparks their interest. And so they need to strengthen those relationships and I need to do a better job of that too. So Yeah, what happens when you decide to retire and, you know, what, what if the next? What are we gonna do? What <laughs> if the next Becky is not like? I think I'm looking at a couple of Becky. adjunct professors right here. You'll be Ooh. Becky with the good hair, and we'll always be trying to replace you. Like, oh boy, you know? Yeah. What was the name of? There was a name for it, but what was the name of the program that you had when I was there that got me into Bedford? Applied Projects Partnership Program. That's a lot. AP three. Yeah, tongue twister. Yeah. 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 Um. And so what that was is that. Uh, I was taking a, was that the name of the class too? Yeah. So I took this class with Becky and me and another group of, were they all master's students or were there some undergrad in there too? I think I we remember. had a couple of undergrads in there. So we all, as a group, we got to work on the city of Bedford stormwater management plan. And not only did we, so we got to do all of that work of putting that plan together. And then I ended up getting a internship with the city. And so then I got to take this plan that we had kind of created in, in theory and, you know, doing our research with the city and then come on the flip side and be the person that was now responsible for implementing all of these things that I've, that we had created. And <laughs> so, <laughs> so how'd that go? <laughs> uh, I would say that, uh, it was nice to have that real world, real world perspective of, uh, reality and like my dreams of what I wanted to accomplish. So, I mean, and then there were like compromises and there were things that we made work and, um, but like that, I feel like that uh, opportunity and that experience was irreplaceable. I just, I think that, uh, like, yes, I challenge universities to reach out to utilities, but I absolutely 100% say to anybody in the utility field listening right now, or maybe just not even utility, maybe just in the water sector in general, like, reach out to the local universities, make those connections. Don't think that it's going to take a lot of time from you. I don't feel like we took a lot of time from the utility. I think we, like, saved them time because we were doing all of this homework and research for them. Um, utilize those students because 
that's going to give them the real world experience that's going to be so important when they get when boots on the ground and um like that experience was irreplaceable for me and since you said boots on the ground a lot of these um new employees are sent to take these tests a b c and d surface water groundwater you know wastewater tests at these local colleges mm. so there's an easy connection there that you can go and start making a relationship with so where i took i think i took mine at tcc the tarrant county college um that would have been a great opportunity for us to to reach out to them you're you're testing all of my my employees it's there like let's take this step further now exactly and i think there are people out there who are doing the same kinds of things that i'm doing at tcu and it's a matter of finding them and then trying to join those things together. Okay, you guys are already running the exam. How about let's run a class, right? right? How about let's run a continuing ed class if we need to do that to get that traction. Um, TCU, we're, we're pretty fortunate. You guys don't know this yet, but we uh, have hired a new uh, hydrologist in our department and he does green stormwater infrastructure nice so we're creating a water center at tcu it's really pretty exciting Ooh, a water (laughs) (laughs) well please let your water center know that there are two women in water who would be happy to talk to them interview them like be Hang out with them, be tied into whatever projects they're working on so we can let people know. We're really excited about him coming on board. He starts June 1st. Awesome. Okay, so this has been the the light and easy portion of the <laughs> of the conversation, but now I kind of wanted to shift to uh, something the more scandalous, controversial part of the uh, conversation. So, Becky is one of my go to. She's like one of my go to subject matter experts. So, when something comes up that I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak or or say something that could be misconstrued. Like she's one of the first people that I reach out to to say, "What do you think about this?" And we had one of those situations going on. It's probably been about a year ago now. Um, so yeah, it was last spring break because I was gone. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. So that means I probably called you while you were doing something fun, like hiking or something like that. Like, oh, Costa Rica, yeah, big for bend. sure. Yeah. <laughs> big bend, yeah. No internet. <laughs> um, so there's some backstory to to this part of the combo. So, like I said, you've definitely become a local subject matter expert. You know, the media around here reaches out to you. Water providers reach out to you when things uh, get out of hand with specific water issues. And this did happen with Erin Brockovich, who made the news after she made, uh, she went after North Texas Municipal Water District and the city of Plano over their... um, chlorine burn their routine maintenance that they were doing on the plant so in in our opinion the water industry starts at a disadvantage because our defense is science and regulations and these can be very very like high level complex topics that the regular um everyday person is that's not on their radar at all um, they don't regularly regularly throw around terms like nitrification and disinfection byproducts. Like you might as well be speaking, uh, you know, Vulcan to them. But so so this is a huge reason why we're so adamant that utilities no longer take this the silence approach of never talking or only talking when something bad happens. And we try to advocate strongly. I wouldn't say try. We strongly advocate for a proactive and consistent communication. Um, 
where have you seen success for utilities trying to explain these complex issues to the general public when they're coming out of a situation like that? So I'm going to say I'm not sure I have seen it okay. do really well. Um, Truth. Love I think it. <laughs> I think that you're right that in general, we go right back to the science and to the regulations and say, but, you know, the regulations are in place for a reason. And we follow those regulations. We're in compliance with those regulations. And then here's some science to go with it. And the general public's eyes glaze over and they don't care. Mm-hmm. And yep. they're still scared of what's in their water. Yes. And so the challenge, uh, I think, for all of us that love this field is how do we make the science easy to understand, Right. How do you speak to someone and get rid of all the jargon and be able to talk to them in a manner that they can understand? And I don't think the water utilities in general do a very good job of that mm-hmm. because they're very, we're, all, we're all science geeks and we all are very comfortable with our science speak. Mm-hmm. And we don't realize how difficult it is to get that across to uh, the general populace who doesn't care about science and doesn't want to know what nitrification is. Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I find that in my classroom at times, too. Right. That to get in those first few weeks to get the students interested in water and why they're in this class. You know, OK, yeah, they had to take this class because it was the only one that fit their schedule. But how do you <laughs> how do you get them interested in the topic so that they actually do well in the class and walk away with an understanding? And so I always try to find ways to relate it to the things that they are familiar with in their everyday life, right? Mm -hmm. And as you well know, having been in my class, one of the first things I say is water doesn't just magically come from a tap, right? There's a lot behind it to have that water come out of the tap and have you feel comfortable drinking it, Mm -hmm. right? And what I find a lot of the time is they've never even thought about whether the water coming out of their tap is safe to drink. Mm -hmm. They've just, it's always been safe their whole life. They never even think about it. So I think that's why some of the sensationalism actually gains some traction because it's something people never thought about until somebody scares them. Yeah. Right? Yes. Yes. Um, And I mean, if you can communicate those issues to a room full of undergrad students at TCU, you can surely communicate. Certainly. Yeah. The general public. Yeah, you got the general public. Um, and, and so as I was going okay, through... So you guys are probably pretty smart, but <laughs> your attention levels are just goldfish. Yeah. Um, I say that I'm one of them. So, uh, yeah, so one of the things that, that we talked about and that you act, I was going through the presentation and I was like, oh, shout out, is that you referenced the open letter that I wrote to Aaron Brockovich after I saw the news report... Um, a year ago or so. And, you know, my biggest issue, we ended up having actually a 90 minute conversation with her about that. That was actually relatively positive. Um, but the biggest takeaway from that for me though, was in writing that letter was that coming at it from that, uh, not perspective from that angle. I don't know, just coming in hot is what I said in the blog is not going to do anything to fix the relationship or break in relationship that customers have with water utilities. Because like you said, when 
you don't know a lot about the science and the regulations, but someone comes in using fear. fear uh, and, um, you know, in your presentation, you kind of go through several of her points and um, debunk them, if you will. Um, that that that's like that's what I was mostly upset about and why I reached out to the professionals that I knew, because number one, I wanted to know, OK, she's throwing a lot of stuff out of there. What's legit? And second of all, it just I didn't think that it served any positive benefit to come in that way. Like there's there's still like a break in trust now that that situation didn't help at all. So, um, well, it helped one person. Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah. To your point of where you said that, you know, we we turn back to the science and turn back to the regulations Um she in her in our conversation with her, she raised the point that a lot of the people that reach out to her, they don't even trust the regulations to begin with, and so for utilities to say, oh, but we're following the regulations, everything's fine, to a group of people who don't even trust those, like that doesn't help, that doesn't solve. Well, and certainly that came on the heels of the Flint, Michigan. Yeah. Right. Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. And so that that instance created doubt in people's minds as to whether or not water utilities were actually following the regulations, doing the right thing, because if they are, how did that situation happen? Mm-hmm. Right? Well, I think we know some of the answers to what happened there. Yeah. And so the the bottom line is people weren't following the regulations. They weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Whether it was intentional or not is a different issue. But they weren't following the rules that were put in place and that's what created the problem. And so but people don't understand that. People don't know that. And so now there's this mistrust of whether the regulations are sufficient and whether your city officials are actually following them. And so that, that kind of goes to what we try, the point that we try and make is that no one is going to tell our story for us. And if they do, it's going to be stories like Flint, Michigan. And it's not going to be the history, the backstory, any of that, the the positive stories, anything like that, it's not going to be that. So that's why we advocate for why we need to be out there and communicating all the time and kind of telling our story in relation to what matters most to our customers. So I'm going to go rogue a minute, and I don't know if you have an answer to this or not or if you address this with your um, students at all, but all this idea of these emerging contaminants, especially on the east coast um and how that's also kind of raising an element of fear in the public because they're hearing about all these pfas and all these things along that have you do you guys talk about that in your classes and how like what's your kind of take for utilities that are dealing with those issues so i do talk about that a little bit um you know, I have some running jokes that I make about, you know, we're all on Prozac and birth control, but yeah, we yeah. don't know it, right? Yeah. And and that kind of thing. But when I make those jokes, it actually gets their attention because mm-hmm. they go, no, wait a minute. What, what do you mean by that? <laughs> right? Yeah. And so then we start to really talk about it. And we talk about how the regulations that we have and that we work with were created before our gas chromatographs had the ability to detect these contaminants. So we thought everything was great. And now our detection equipment has become so much more sophisticated and we are so much better at detecting much smaller 
concentrations of things that we're finding. So we, we call them emerging, but they were already there, right? They've been there. And so, but they're emerging as an issue Mm -hmm. for the industry. And one of the big challenges, as you know, is how do we afford to go back and retrofit every water treatment plant and every wastewater treatment plant in this country to be able to treat for those? How do we do that? How do we afford that? Yeah. Yeah, I see, I see a lot of times she's, she or people or in general are in her world are saying, yeah, our site, thank you, are saying, um, you know, we we need to change the laws, we need to change the regulations, we need to, you know, start from the top and sure, but again, like you said, the small community that I live in cannot afford to add all that new technology and start detecting those. I would love for that, but it can't happen. It's just... I don't have enough alive people in my community to pay for that. Correct. You know, and the same with all other levels of the city. You get to these bigger cities. There there are $25 million plants that they're putting in, you know, 20 years ago. They can't handle these retro bits. (laughs) I'm glad I'm not the only one with speech impediment today. So I have had no coffee. (laughs) Which to me is another reason why we need to be... I mean, talking more about what it is we do and the value that we, the service that we provide to our customers, because like, I mean, as, as George Hawkins and other people say, like, no one's going to pay more for anything. Right. I mean, like, no one's going to willingly say, absolutely, I want to pay more for, for this bill. But if we're telling people why and what we need it for, and, you know, because we're talking about retrofitting for these kinds of contaminants, where we also have crumbling simple infrastructure like pipes and things in the ground that need to be replaced and so again like it comes back to communication is just the low-hanging fruit y'all like we need to be telling people the incredible value that people are walking over driving over taking water out of flushing down the toilet like every single day instead of just you know letting other people tell our story and it's not always great how they tell it well and as you are well aware we do not pay already we do not pay for the true value of oh, clean no. drinking water. No. We don't. And we've had that luxury for, for the last hundred years, years right? <laughs> and I think the time is coming where we're going to have to start to pay its true value. If we really want to address these emerging issues and we want to address it in a centralized fashion, then we're going to have to start paying. And oh, nobody man. likes that. You must maybe want to go down a rabbit hole with you. I probably don't have time. Because <laughs> you said centralized, and I was like, oh, there's a lot of people talking about looking uh-huh. at that a little yeah, differently. Yeah, yeah. Our eyes up. Do, you uh-huh. <laughs> Do we have time to go down that path for a second? Sure. Okay. So talk to me about centralized and decentralized water treatment solutions, Becky. Oh, boy. <laughs> it is a rabbit hole. So, you know, our, our solution to making sure that everybody had clean drinking water as we were moving from a very rural and agrarian life to cities was to create a single water treatment plant to make sure that water we were drinking was clean enough that the people who lived in that centralized area could have access to that clean water and not have to worry about taking water out of the river, walking four hours to do that, right? Those kinds of issues. And so... That fit our society 
at the time. The challenge comes in we keep expanding, our cities keep growing, you know, urbanization is happening at, at a... We're moving out everywhere. Well, we did, and now what we're seeing is a rapid reversal of that. We're seeing urbanization... Uh, we're seeing people leaving the rural areas, leaving farm life, leaving, you know, the agricultural life and moving to the city. And so the stresses now on our existing water treatment plants, uh, number one, we have to expand them because we've got this booming population. And then number two, how do we have enough land to expand the ones we have? And Oh, by the way, we can talk about, do we have enough surface water to begin with? That's a whole different rabbit Ooh. hole. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, at least right now, I think that the, the short fix for people who are really concerned about emerging contaminants is to invest in a home water filter and take those contaminants out at your tap. Yeah. Because we don't have the right technology to be able to expand our existing plants to address that when we're dealing with trying to expand our existing plants just to be able to provide enough water. Yeah. <laughs> so do you think the centralized approach works for kind of what we're doing now and that the decentralized would work more for like kind of those uh, additional type treatment, like tertiary or whatever you want to call it there? Like I'd, someone a long time ago asked me, well, what if uh, what if people could, you know, treat like be completely decentralized? And I was like, yeah, but people nowadays like don't even remember to change the filter in their refrigerator. Can you imagine like them having to treat for everything? Like that's a bit terrifying to me. So do you see like the I call it Darwinism? <laughs> I'm fine with it. <laughs> fine. So do you see the decentralized approach kind of working more in the area that you're talking about versus like water treatment at large? I think at least for now. I think that that really is the issue. Um, I don't think we want to rework all of our metropolitan areas oh, yeah. to a decentralized plan. Mm -hmm. I don't. I don't think that's going to work. And if you look at uh, the rate of urbanization and what's coming um, right now, we're at about fifty-four percent urban, uh, and that is projected to be seventy percent urban by twenty fifty. And so I don't see, with urbanization taking place, I don't see decentralization of all water treatment. But I think that final polish for some of these emerging uh, issues of concern is, is going to have to be an individual tap kind of thing. Yeah, and that's the, I, we kind of talked about this throughout the whole thing, and it's the communication of it is the easy part, but it's giving those, all you have to do is give your residents, your customers, the knowledge to make their own choice, and they feel empowered. I don't, I don't have a choice where my water comes from. It comes from the ground. I have no idea what's in the ground. But I have the choice to test it. I have the choice to get a filter. I have a choice to do all of that, and I feel empowered enough to do that. You know, so just giving people that knowledge it's okay to say you may need a filter or you may need this other thing in your house. You may need to take control of your own home or your own situation like I've had to do. That's okay. Give me that knowledge that I can do that and let me figure that out and, and feel empowered enough to do it. Right. And, you know, I think we've seen that to a certain extent with um, some of the issues of the lead in our piping systems, right? right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. 
And, you know, municipalities all across the country have had to address this, and they have been addressing it for a number of years, far before the Flint thing happened. Um, and the cities can only do so much at a time, but I think a lot of our cities have done a pretty good job of communicating when they figure out that, oh, this whole neighborhood is in trouble. Mm-hmm. They do a pretty good job of communicating with that neighborhood about, okay, we've, we're doing this system-wide audit. We've discovered that you know, there are some problems. And it's not necessarily problems with the city pipes. Oh, it's the problem. Right. Most of the time it's not. It's a problem with the individual's piping mm-hmm. in their house. So from the meter into their house. That's usually where the problem lies, which is not the city's responsibility. But most municipalities have gone that extra mile, and they have reached out and said, you know, your neighborhood is of an age, and I don't know if you've replaced your pipes, but let's test your tap, let's see what's going on, and here's the information that you need to move forward with whatever you choose to do, right? Yeah. So you know when you're listening to the radio and – the host gives a plug in the middle of a conversation and you hear that that cash register that's like ching. <laughs> I'm going to give a plug real quick to one of our podcast sponsors 120 water audit cuz that's what they do they test um for lead they can do it for the customer but they also do it on a huge scale for the you know for the cities or for the daycares or for the you know school districts um and there's technology out there that you can quickly you know, start using today if you need to, you know, to figure that out. So, And I'm going to do a plug for the utilities that we know that are out there who are, even though, like you said, you're absolutely right, it's not their responsibility, but there are several like the Greater Cincinnati Waterworks with Kathy Bailey and them in their lead service line replacement program. Um, Kenosha has a lead service line replacement program. Um, and so just like... It's so, I'm so proud of utilities like that who are, and I know that not all can right now because of, again, funding, but stepping up and saying like, yes, this beyond the meter is not my responsibility, but I, it's water and like, you don't understand it. I understand it. And I'm going to help you, or I'm going to give you the tools, or I'm going to create a funding mechanism that can help people replace that, um, that infrastructure. So uh, yeah, we've gotten to learn a lot about more about the lead situation, and it's just as many problems as are out there. It's also so great to hear the success stories that are out there too. Okay, <clears throat> I want to give an argument for. <laughs> I just, if you're gonna say that that water is not your problem because it's in the the residents, you know, house, sure, whatever. Bring, lawyers want you to say that, whatever. But the farmer who grew and raised the animals or the lettuce or whatever um, that sent it to the store that sold it to you, uh, it's in your refrigerator, that then finds out there's listeria in it or maybe the beef's gone bad, there's plastic because they didn't do grass-fed beef, hello. Um, The farmer doesn't go back and say, well, not my problem. (laughs) You know, it's in your house, not my problem. Cows in your house now? Yeah, cows (laughs) in your house now, not my problem. Uh Uh-uh. You take responsibility for it, and you own it, and you say, okay, I'm going to readjust how we're doing something back on the process. You shut down Bluebell. (laughs) Oh, my God, you shut down Bluebell. So just, like, you're going to have to get over that whole, like, it's in their house, it's not my problem. Because 
It's well, your problem. And I agree. And and I'm gonna go right back to knowledge is power, right? Yes. Because if a municipality or a water utility knows that the water that they're treating and sending out into distribution is not being contaminated by the distribution pipe, but it's being contaminated by a residence line and they know that it they have an obligation to let that resident know hey our water's good but you got some bad pipes and here's what you need to do about it yeah. right so it's not it's a it's a um, a difference in the amount of knowledge and whether that knowledge is passed on as it should be yeah and not being afraid of oh god i don't want to say the l word I'm talking about lead. I don't want to say the L word because then what if I'm going to freak everyone out? Like we have to stop thinking, I don't want to say this because I'm going to freak everyone out. Everyone, if you, if you're thinking that watch Harry Potter, okay, he who not, who shall not be named, you name it. You got to call it out. Voldemort. It's okay. Lead. Not it. It's okay. Say it and just acknowledge it. And, you know, just like you said, give them the knowledge and give them, some answer to okay how can I find out and then what can I do once I find out and and some of the things are super simple mm-hmm. right yeah. if you're going to cook with that water and you don't have the money to change out your pipes and there's no uh, assistance program where you live then you flush the water for 15 minutes you pay a little extra on your water bill right but you flush that water and the lead concentration drops usually by about 90% when you do that because it's water sitting in the pipe that leaches the lead into the water. So if you flush that water through and the water's not sitting in the pipe anymore, it's not gaining lead. So it's simple things that a resident can do without really spending much in the way of money because, once again, we don't pay the real cost of water. Um, There's a callback for you. (laughs) Okay, Becky, I need to know what is your favorite book right now that you can recommend to all of us? Ooh, uh, I am rereading When the Rivers Run Dry. Yeah. Fred Pierce. Yep. Yeah. And it's one of the ones that all of our grad students have to read. Uh-huh. Right. So we've added that to the reading list nice. now. All of our grad students have to read it. Uh, I make them read that and I make them read Cadillac Desert Ooh. so that they understand where the water in the West comes from and mm-hmm. where it goes. Yes. Right. Um, and so that one, uh, I'm rereading it right now. Um, I re- I'm yeah. All the books I've read lately are about water. Good. So there <laughs> good. you go. I dig it. Uh, water in the desert is another great one. That's a good one too. Water in the desert. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. What are what's something that you do every day that drives your productivity? Ooh. Um, <laughs> to be honest with you, at this point, it's how many emails and how many phone calls did I get wanting me to do this or that or the other right now. <laughs> We are at the end of school, after oh, all. True. It's, uh, true. you know, it's grad student oral exams and thesis <laughs> defense. and It's not um, more wine bottles whoo, or anything like that, because that's what it would be for me. Like yeah, that's what it would be for me. <laughs> <laughs> so lots of, lots of things going on right now. But actually, um, the, the thing that's kind of making me get out of bed in the morning and, um, and gets me pretty excited is um, TCU has... Uh, officially formed a sustainability committee and I'm the chair this year All right, and we are doing a lot of interesting things we have a lot of stuff on our plates Uh, we've accomplished a lot and we are 
hopefully going to have uh, approved by the board next fall at their next meeting uh, a true sustainability policy for the university. Nice. So I'm pretty excited about that. Yeah. That's putting your feet on the ground and let's move it. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Okay. My last question that I get to ask every single person that we talk to, um, in our line of work, and I'm sure you've, you've probably heard this too, when people have said, what difference does it make if I make a change? I'm just one person. It's not going to make a difference, which we obviously wholeheartedly disagree with. We think that change can be contagious and you never know who's going to see you and then be inspired to make a change in their own life. So... What is the one call to action that you're most passionate about that you believe could ultimately change the world? Ooh. I think it's twofold. I think it is uh, putting together a list of things in your life that you want to do differently. But more importantly, it's sharing that list with your friends and family Mm -hmm. to see if they will adapt one of those things, two of those things. Yeah. And it's that, you know, uh, you guys probably are too young to remember the old commercial of, and they told two friends and they told two friends and they told two friends. No, I remember that. Okay. Um, that, so I think it's, it's about putting together the list of things that you want to do in your life that are important to you, whether it's recycling, uh, trying to reduce your water use, that sort of thing, whatever it is. I think if you do that, that's great. But you have to take the next step and communicate that to your family and friends and try to convince them that, you know, you can do this too. Even if it's just one thing, Mm -hmm. you can do it. Yeah. We've definitely done that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, love it. (laughs) I The plastic bottle, you know, people throwing away the half full waters, water, Mm -hmm. plastic bottles of water. Um, lid on everything and all it was told to me from our mentor from a project they had um you know that this you're what you're trapping water forever basically and I'm like oh my god every drop counts that's a lot of water that's a lot of drops in that bottle and so I told I've told a lot of people this since then just like unscrew the the cap like Mm -hmm. throw it away dump the water out Mm -hmm. coke Gatorade water all that crap Dump the liquid out. Dump it out. Mm -hmm. And then we've got a friend who's a microbiologist who was not into water at all. Uh, Reed Cohen. (laughs) Um, He's a super water nerd now. Um, And he it's it's taken over his life basically. Like he's, I don't have to tell anyone else ever again. I feel like because he tells everyone. One of the things that frustrates me every time I eat out is when my cup is you know, still has ice in it or whatever. Oh there's God. no place to dump it. I know. Before I put it in the trash. There's no place to do that. All they need is a drain. Mm-hmm. Right? That's and all, all I'm need. doing is like <laughs> sucking it down. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I but you still have the ice now. and the ice. Yeah. I'm panicking. I'm like, yeah. there's a bush. Yeah. 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 It's, it's frustrating. I agree. Yeah. We, uh, I love that. We all have to, yes, it's great for us to do something, but really taking that, call to action a step further and um encouraging action in other people is important so you've definitely done that working case study right here so um we i took those words and ran with them and drug area drug area along with me (laughs) 
So uh, we appreciate you taking the time to speak with us today. Um, I'm sure we'll probably, we can definitely find another reason. Wine and water, I'm sure, is another conversation we that can we do can that. have. Yeah. We can do that. But, we um, can talk more about plastic water bottles and a solution. That and Costa Rica and volcanoes. And, yeah. Ooh, yeah, yeah. There's so many more topics mm-hmm. to talk about. So, Ooh, another good book, No Apparent Danger. Mm. Mm-hmm. Write it down. Write it down, water nerds. It's about volcanoes. Oh, yeah, we got to talk about TCU's uh, Costa Rica program and Costa Rica in general because it's awesome. But anyways, uh, thank you. (laughs) Thank you for being with us. And um, we enjoyed the chat. Yeah, well, it's, uh, you know, seeing you and seeing this business and the fact that you drug Ariane along with you um, makes me so proud. Makes me feel like what I do in the classroom matters. You make me tear up. So, yeah. Thanks for having me. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Never miss out on future episodes by signing up for the Water Nerd newsletter. Found at the h2duo.com forward slash newsletter. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at the underscore h2duo. We share all of our new episodes there as well as in the newsletter. So, whether we come across your feed or in your inbox, be sure to share episodes with your friends, family, colleagues, fellow water nerds. Help us spread the word. We hope you learned something new today, got a little inspired, or did something that brought you one step closer to your goal. Until next time, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.